0: Uh, Today will be in Mark chapter 1, the first 13 verses. So let's hear the Word of God today. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one, crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when He came up out of the water, immediately He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on Him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove Him into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is uh, to be here uh, with our people uh, and to be able to reach others uh, of our church family online or connect with others that may be uh, visiting for the first time via the internet uh, God, it's a, a special blessing to see so many kids here and to be able to have a, an opportunity for them, even as we're in here, for them to be able to, to hear the Word on their level and to have such great teachers uh, pouring into them today. So I pray especially over those classes even now. God, we thank you that your Word has a tremendous power in our lives, uh, that by the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, you inspired this word, and you have given your spirit inside of us, that we may understand it and apply it. And so, Lord, we pray above everything else uh, that through your word we would magnify you, we would glorify you, we'd see you, and we'd worship you today. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I'm the kind of guy who likes a good restaurant. I like new restaurants. I like exploring different things to eat. And so when I first uh, came here to Fountain Inn, when Aaron and I would get together for our weekly staff meetings, for a little while I said, hey, let's go to lunch together every week. But you got to take me to somewhere I haven't been before, because I wanted to explore everywhere around Fountain Inn, Simpsonville, etc. And so there are all kinds of neat places uh, that I had never been before. So now, before I, before I moved here, I hadn't even heard of Tipsy Taco. And now it's like, I love Tipsy Taco. Same thing uh, with um, Tropical Grill there in Malden. Like, if I can go anywhere for lunch, that's probably where I'm going to pick. I just love uh, their food. And those are places I had I like. I like going to new restaurants. But you know what I also like? I like a really good, simple, home-cooked meal. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, some of our favorites that I've had countless times, when, when I know that Amber's cooking it, or we're getting whatever at home, you know, I, I look forward to poppy seed chicken which is like the most simple chicken casserole ever. I actually can make it, so which, you know, I mean, that's really lower in the bar here on the you know, culinary expertise, but I can make it. And I, I look forward to that. Not because it's fancy or elaborate or like, you know, especially, it's just, this is, it's home cooking. You know what I mean? Just sometimes a big plate of spaghetti. You're just excited. Maybe that's just me, but I get excited about that. Uh, we do a jambalaya, it's my mom's recipe, Grilled chicken and mushroom rice, just a hamburger off the grill. I mean, as most basic and simple as that is, cooked on my own grill, I look forward to a home-cooked meal like that. And I think there's something uh, about this fall that makes me think of, when I thought about the sermon series, a simple home-cooked meal. So go with me on this. I know you're like, what in the world is he talking about? Go with me on this. 2020 has been crazy. Am I right? Like, really, really crazy. And I, I'm no fortune teller, but I'm just guessing the next few months are just going to keep being crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a crazy year. And so, as I began praying about this fall uh, a while back with all the stress and anxiety and all the kind of things we've got going on, you know what I want to do during this hour for the next little while, however many weeks, whatever? I, I want to have a simple home cooked meal, like the bread and butter of Christianity, and by that I mean the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these are four Gospels that are just the bread and butter. This is the the essence of our faith is Jesus Himself. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're just accounts of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. And so uh, I selected Mark uh, for a number of reasons, but if you're familiar with this Gospel at all, it, 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 you'll know it's shorter than the rest. And so some of us with short attention spans uh, appreciate that, you know, like, all right. Mark is, is quick, it's fast paced. Uh, you'll, you'll see that if you compared just what we're doing, 13 verses I already read to you, Matthew takes four chapters to get that far, you know? So this is like straightforward, simple, concise, to the point. Now, don't, under, don't misunderstand that it is like dumbed down. It is not. Mark can pack a whole lot. In a few words, something I'm still trying to figure out how to do. But Mark does it really, really well. I've read Mark plenty of times. I've done a few Bible studies in Mark, but I've never preached a series through Mark. So I'm super excited about this. Because this is just an opportunity for us to meet with Jesus. That, that's what I want. That's what I mean by a simple home-cooked meal. Coming back to the, to the bread and butter of our faith. Just diving in to encounter our Savior for ourselves, And that's what I think Mark is trying to do, along with the other gospel writers. Now, if you know the, the apostles, Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. You see him pop up in the book of Acts, sometimes called John Mark, and he seems to be really close with Peter. And so uh, from all the historians and everybody, they, they're pretty sure that the way Mark's gospel came to be is that Mark was really close with Peter, and Mark was writing down from Peter's perspective uh, the, the life of Jesus. There's a lot of things in here that are, that are unique to Peter and following along with Peter's story. And so as we're really, we're, Peter was like one of the inner circle guys. And Mark was one of the first people, one of the first leaders in the church after this. And so this is as close as it gets to experiencing Jesus himself. These are people who knew him and the stories they tell about him. And as Mark is, is unpacking this and displaying Jesus for us, What he's trying to do is is show you Jesus, and not just for information purposes, but to give you the opportunity to follow him too. Because what Jesus did, and that with those very first disciples, as we'll see over the next few weeks, is he, as he showed up, he said, follow me. That's what we're calling this series through the, probably just the first half of the book of Mark over the next few months. We're calling it, follow me. Because as Mark is displaying Jesus to us, That same invitation is open to follow Christ for ourselves. So as we begin diving into Mark today, we're we're diving into a very close encounter with Jesus. And as we think about this year, about 2020 and all the crazy things, there's there's nothing more important than this, coming coming to Jesus. You, You may be waiting on something, you know, like a vaccine or schools getting back together or... Jobs, you know, figuring, it, leveling back out. Maybe your, your job, your work went way down after uh, all this happened. Or maybe it went way up and you, you just, you're waiting on something to go back to some semblance of normal or whatever it was uh, ahead of time. We we're probably all waiting on something, something to slow down, something to pick up. We're, we're always waiting on something. And it seems like especially this year, we're waiting on something. Something to work out like we want it to. I think one of the deepest things that we all have, that we're all waiting on, is that we're, we're, we, we want to feel accepted, we want to feel at peace, we want to feel loved, and we want to feel like we're doing right, and we're doing good in this world. And somehow those are the very things that are hardest to get a hold of, and we'll see today, I think, are only possible in Christ. We're coming to this gospel account uh, of Jesus' life that's bread and butter because Jesus is, is who we need. Whatever else we're waiting on in 2020, we're, we, need, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And the best part of that is that we don't actually really have to wait. He's, he already came. Do you know that? He, he's, already, he's already here. So we don't have to wait. He's already come, and what Mark wants us to see right here at the beginning of his gospel is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. So if you've got uh, sermon notes, the bulletin that you got on the way in, that's the first thing I want you to notice here. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Verse 1 begins this way, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now if you're familiar with uh, either Luke or Matthew, uh, you know they tell uh, a different way, different parts of Jesus' birth story, how, how he was born and angels, you know, all the Christmas things you think of. This, this is how Mark starts. He just says, Jesus is here. That's it. Jesus is here. And, uh, and he calls it the gospel. He says the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel just means good news. So why, why is he calling it good news? Well, his name is Jesus. Jesus comes from, a, the, the, the Hebrew name was Joshua, which means God, Yahweh saves, God saves. So he's saying, this is good news, God saves, and then he says, Jesus Christ, and it's not like Philip Long, it's not like first and last name, Christ was a title, it means Messiah or anointed one, which to the original hearers would mean king. So every time you see Jesus Christ, you could say, King Jesus, this is King Jesus, this is the good news, this whole story is the good news about the true king, and his name is Jesus. How does He get that position? Well, He's the Son of God. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The way Jesus became the King is that His Father gave Him the throne. (laughs) He he didn't have to conquer. He didn't have to overthrow. There was no coup. There was no uh, way that anybody... Jesus is King because He's the Son of God. He's the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the one that so many had been waiting on. And so much is packed into just those few words. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. While we're summarizing, think about this, that, that's really, that, that one sentence really captures the whole book. And to help you see that, there's one the place that phrase, Son of God, shows up in Mark. And because it's going to take us a really long time to get there, I just want to go ahead and give you the end. <laughs> Mark 15, this phrase shows up one more time. Jesus is on the cross, and there's a Roman centurion, a Roman guard, down at the bottom of the cross. And when Jesus breathes his last breath on the cross, the Roman guard says, surely this was the Son of God. That phrase at the beginning and the end of Mark's gospel as bookends to tell you really the whole thing is all about Jesus. The one who is the perfect Son of God. The King, the Messiah, this is Jesus. Now for that phrase to be at the beginning and at the end while He's on the cross tells us he, He's going to die. So this is a different kind of Messiah, a different kind of King. Maybe not one that you would anticipate. and Maybe not described in the same way that you would expect for a King. But Mark starts to give us clues about what this King is like when he quotes the Old Testament. He quotes uh, two places. One of them is in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It's in verse 3 uh, of Mark 1. It says, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make His paths straight. That's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, which was 600 years before Christ. And to Isaiah, as he's quoting that, he's quoting it at a time when God's people were in exile in Babylon. God's people, because of their own sin, had been taken out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, far away. And Isaiah 40 is this word, after all this judgment, it's this word of comfort to God's people because he's telling them the king is coming to rescue you. The way is going to get ready. He talks about the mountains get lower, the valleys get higher. It's this smooth path because God is on the way to rescue you. That's what Isaiah is telling the people of Israel there in Babylon. God is coming to rescue you. That's who he is. And so now Mark is quoting this about Jesus. What do you think he's saying about Jesus? He's saying, This is God, and He is on His way to rescue you. Get ready, it's coming. He's coming to rescue you. And even Isaiah and Mark, they're all building off of something that happened even before all of them. They're pointing back to Exodus when God, what do you know, came to rescue His people. Again, they were in captivity. They were in Egypt. For 400 years, the people were slaves. God raised up Moses and sent him into Egypt. God brought his people out of Egypt. And if you know that story, they, they come through the, the 10 plagues. Pharaoh finally lets them go. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. The Egyptians try to chase him and God washes them out, defeats the enemy with the same water. God rescues. He delivers his people. And just like he did in Egypt, in Exodus, just like he told Isaiah that he would do while the people were in exile, now here is King Jesus on the scene and he's saying, he has come to rescue you and deliver you out of captivity. That is the God we serve and that is who Jesus is. Isaiah 40 was a kind of second exodus, describing this kind of second exodus that would happen. And so as we're looking into what Jesus is going to do, we're anticipating that kind of delivery, that kind of uh, redemption. And God knew that He was going to set this all in motion in a certain way. The other verse that Mark quotes, it doesn't get named here, but if you've got a Bible, it's probably got a little footnote or something there, where it says, it's quoting Malachi 3.1. It speaks of a messenger who would come and prepare the way of the Lord. Malachi uh, was the very last, and in our, the way we've got the Old Testament, the very last Old Testament prophet. And so when he says that in chapter 3, the very next chapter of Malachi, chapter 4, speaks of Elijah coming before the Messiah. And this is 400 years before Christ that Malachi writes this. He's he's telling us, before the Messiah comes, before the day of the Lord, there's going to be another prophet who prepares the way, who gets everybody ready, and it's Elijah. And so they're anticipating, 400 years, the Jewish people have been anticipating that somebody would come, Elijah would come, And then the Messiah would come. Well, come into Mark's gospel, and there's this man who shows up whose name is John. Now, we call him John the Baptist. It's not written there, but we all, when we look at his ministry, it's one of the things he was most famous for. So we refer to him as John the Baptist. So John the Baptist shows up as this prophet, but there's some things different about him. I read this chapter to my kids and asked them, what what seems weird about this? Listen to verse 6. He says, And John was clothed with camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And my kids said, what? <laughs> you know. And if you just read through that and you just kind of keep going, you're like, what in the world is this guy doing? Why is that included? Well, 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 8, speaks of a prophet named Elijah. You know what Elijah is wearing? 2 Kings 1, 8, he wore a garment of hair, and a belt of leather around his waist. John is out in the wilderness preaching and wearing some crazy clothes because John knows he is Elijah. He is a prophet like Elijah who is preparing the way for the Messiah. The people who knew their Bibles, that knew our our Old Testament, when they saw this man, they knew this this is it. This is it. The Messiah is about to come. It's exactly what... John would tell us. He, he goes on uh, in verse 7. It says, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So there's, there's somebody coming. Get ready. There's somebody coming, and he's even greater than me. You see, Jesus was the long-anticipated Messiah for, by the Jews for 400 years. They've been waiting. We're well, longer, but at least for the last 400 years since that last prophecy. And you have to understand that we too we, we too are waiting on this. This is what we've all waited for. This is what we all desperately need. This is who we all desperately need. We need the Messiah. We need Jesus. And oh, how hard it can be to wait on anything, right? If you got a date marked on a calendar, you're waiting on it, it just seems like the days crawl till you get there. Or it's just waiting for lunch sometimes, you know? If you're waiting on something. It can be so hard. Lois, our six-year-old, is waiting on on our one-year-old's, or, or Lydia turns one at the end of this month. She has, you know how you make those little paper rings? She's got to hang in, counting down the days to her sister's birthday because she's just so excited for Lydia to turn one. And she's got another one, a couple extra rings because my parents come a few days after that in different colors. She's just waiting, anticipating something that's exciting to her. And we know how hard it is to wait, especially if it's something we really care about. Waiting on... Something to be resolved with a family or a job or waiting and waiting and wondering when is this going to happen? Maybe you're just waiting for 2021, you know, just waiting for something different. Whatever else you're waiting on, the, the thing we most need this year and any year is Jesus. He is the one we're waiting on. It wasn't just the Jewish people 2,000 years ago who were waiting on this Messiah. We need this Messiah. We need Jesus. And he is with us. Matthew and Luke take this time to build this story so you understand how this child is born. Mark just jumps to the punchline. He's here. He's here. Do you notice where, where John is doing this preaching? You see, as he's he's arriving, as John's uh, announcing this, and Jesus is coming on the scene, and where Jesus himself shows up the first time, they show up in the wilderness. The wilderness. Now, biblically, that is a really important thing, really important place. You can go through and track some incredible stories in the Bible that happen in the wilderness. And every time the, the, the scene of being in the wilderness isn't just random, of course. God has a plan and a purpose in it all. Jacob wrestled with God in the wilderness. Moses met with God at the fiery burn, uh, a burning bush, this fiery bush that was on fire but not being consumed, out, that was out in the wilderness. Over and over again, things happen, incredible things. The whole nation of Israel wanders for 40 years out in the wilderness. So when you hear wilderness in the Bible, your ears perk up and say, something's about to happen. Now, it's not easy. Wilderness, don't, don't picture, so you, may, you may think of a, a lush forest of wilderness, but keep in mind, this is the Middle East. Palestine, this is desert. You know what's in the wilderness? Nothing. Picture no food, no water, no shelter. Why, why does God meet with His people in the wilderness? Well, why, why do they need to be out with nothing else in order to meet with God? But you know why? Because God knows the human heart, doesn't He? He, he knows that when... We do have those things like food, water, and shelter that are all gifts from him. Many times we forget their gifts and we start taking credit for them and we start feeling good about them, right? Like those days when this was a wilderness right here and none of you were sitting here, you know, it's like, okay, all right, we're preaching to a camera. Here we go, you know, there there are seasons where all the stuff you're used to just gets taken away why why is that why why would god let us go into wilderness god knows many times he has to bring us out where there is nothing else so that we remember whether wilderness or not wilderness we're all fully dependent on god he is the one we're reliant upon all the time whether we have a lot or a little we're always fully reliant on god I can't think of a better lesson in 2020 than than that. We uh, we try to rely on the comfort of our regular routines of kids going to school on time and five days a week, and we rely on a regular income, and we rely on all kinds of regular things that we just accept as normal. And one of the things God can do in those seasons where those are ripped away is He can say, "What, what are you really dependent on? What are you really waiting on? Where is your trust? Where is your hope? What are you fully dependent upon? If we come to the end of relying on ourselves, then it's worth going to the wilderness. It's worth being without in order to rely on God. We need God day and night, and we need to know Him and follow Him and walk with Him. Is, Is that what you want? Is that what you desire above all else. The prophet John the Baptist, his job was to get people ready for the Messiah. So he's out in the wilderness with nothing around. And he's saying, are you ready? Are you dependent upon the stuff of the world? Or are you dependent upon your religious status or your economic status or people you know? Or are you dependent upon something else? Or are you ready for the Messiah to come? Is He the one you're really waiting on? Or are you too occupied with something else. He was preparing the way for the one who is mightier, for the Messiah. And how is it that we get ready? What does He tell us? How how do we do that? He teaches us that confessing sin is what prepares us for the Messiah. Confessing sin is what prepares us for the Messiah. As Jesus preached, I mean, as as John preached, it says, uh, John appeared, verse 4, a baptizing the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you and I can recognize that Jesus is the one we need, he, he really is the one that we're waiting on. Above all else, He is who we need. Then we'll want to get ready for that. We'll want to get ready for Him. And John tells us how to do that. We confess our sins, we repent, and we turn to God. The wilderness is where everything's been stripped away and we have to realize what we're turning to for satisfaction. Is it Christ or is it anything else? I, I compare this. Anybody ever done all those high ropes courses, you know, where you like climb up a tree and you've got a harness on, you've got a, 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 like a, a rope attached to a little rope above you. Anybody ever done one of those things? Or like a zip line you would do that? I was like two people. So this is totally going to be a fail of an illustration. No, I think you probably can picture it, even if you haven't done it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you climb this tree, you've got this harness on, you're usually wearing a helmet. and so They're all different ways or whatever, but sometimes there's stuff in between trees, like a, a rickety bridge that you're trying to walk across, right? Or like these little wires, like real thin wire, and you're trying to hold one and cross the other, right? And there's all these different little obstacles you're trying to do up in the trees, and all those little things are things you can hold on to to try to stay, you know, from making a splat on the ground, right? Those are all the kind of things you, you can hold on to. But what's really keeping you safe? Is it the rickety bridge or the little bitty wire you're standing on? No, it's the wire that's attaching your waist to a wire above your head. And it can be easy if you get confident up there and you're, you're, you're going along. You can think, I got this. This is a you know, bad piece of boards here, but I'm standing on it. I got it. The moment you realize what your real safety is, is the first moment you slip off of that and you're dangling there by your waist to this string above you. And you realize that even when you're standing on the board or whether you're swinging below, what was really keeping you safe is that that one line, that one one wire. I think sometimes the wilderness is like dangling, swinging in between the trees. What was keeping you safe all along was the wire, but now you know it. (laughs) Because if it weren't for that one wire you'd make a splat, you know? John is out in the wilderness, and he's saying, what are you dependent on? What are you waiting on? What are you reliant on? What do you really want more than anything else? Is it stuff? Is it people? Is it, what, what is it? Because there's only one thing really keeping you safe. So anything else you're trying to hold on to and say, this is what my hope is in, he's saying, you've got to repent of that. Turn away from that. That's John's ministry. That's his calling. That's what he's calling people to confess, to admit that, and turn away from it. Repentance is this idea of total life shift, turning around and going the other way. And the way he symbolizes that, the way he demonstrates that, is through the waters of baptism. Now, if you're around church, you've been around church, that may not be a a weird thing to you, but one of you ever stopped and thought about what, what, is, what is baptism? Why, why would John use baptism? Why would he use water to symbolize repenting or symbolize coming to God? Well, you can track water through the Bible in some pretty amazing ways. Similar to the word wilderness, the ways that water shows up in some really important times. And that water shows up usually as a, as a, as a twofold thing. It, it's about judgment. And salvation in creation the very beginning of uh, the the Bible Genesis chapter 1 it says the spirit was hovering over the waters and this picture of of total chaos there's just there's just it's just nothingness but then God in his incredible uh, power and majesty it says he separates the water from the land and so now there's order there's structure previously it was just all chaos water but now there's water and land. He has made a way forward. Maybe a little bit easier one to think about uh, is Noah. Maybe you're familiar with Noah's Ark, right? Water was a form of judgment on the earth, destroying all kinds of people who were sinners. But that same water saved Noah and his family from being corrupted by the world, didn't it? Water was both judgment and it was salvation. Or... Take crossing the Red Sea, That way I mentioned with God bringing His people out of Egypt. One group of people walked across dry land with walls of water on either side. Water was salvation for them. It was how they got out. They were stuck on the side of a sea. They were banked in there by the, by the Egyptian army. So the splitting of the water was salvation when they walked through it. But when the Egyptians followed after, it was judgment on them. It was destruction on them. You see how that works in the Bible? Water is a symbol of being saved, but also of judgment. So when we as Christians are baptized, when we go down into the water, we are symbolizing judgment. What we're saying is that our sins, what we have done against God, deserves to be put in the grave, deserves We deserve death. We go down into the water like we would go down into a grave because that is what our sins have earned us. The water is a form of judgment saying, yes, this is what I deserve. But we don't leave you there because it's not just judgment. It's salvation. You're raised up out of the water declaring God has paid for those sins. He has put them in the grave when Christ went in the grave. And He has raised us up out of the water as a declaration that by christ's resurrection we too have new life water is both judgment and it is salvation that's why john uses baptism he's saying do you recognize you're a sinner do you recognize that we're all holding on to all kinds of things trying to depend on the things of this world do you recognize your sin and can you confess it if so then you'll proclaim it and you'll say yes I want to follow Jesus and be baptized because my sins deserve to be put in the grave. I deserve to be put in the grave. so I want to put my sins in the grave, and I want to be raised to the newness of life. So John was proclaiming, getting ready for the Messiah. And so I want to ask you, if you're already a Christian, if you've been baptized, are you still confessing that sin and turning away from it? Do you remember your baptism in a way that you say yes? I I want to put those sins in the grave and leave that life behind. Are you turning that over still to God? Or if you haven't been baptized, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then can the same call that John had in the wilderness be a call to you in the middle of the wilderness that is 2020? To say, there's nothing else in this world that will satisfy you. There's nothing in this world that will bring you joy and satisfaction. There's nothing else in this world that will keep you safe. Only Christ will. Repentance is to turn from trusting in anything else and to trust in Christ alone. So often it can feel like that's the hardest thing in the world to do. And truthfully, on our own power it is. It's actually impossible on our own power. And that's what makes Jesus' baptism so remarkable. If we just describe Jesus, I mean, baptism that way, then why is the next scene here? <laughs> because Jesus himself, the perfect Son of God, comes and is baptized. Deep in us, we, we have a desire to be loved, to be accepted, and to be able to resist evil and do good. And apart from Christ, we can't do any of that. Listen to what happens in the next part here. Verse 9 starts, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Here's, Here's what I want to send you out with today. Give me just a couple minutes here. And this this is a description, I think, of the good news for us. The good news is that Jesus is who we can't be, and He has done what we can't do. Jesus is who we can't be, and He has done what we can't do. Do you see this incredible display of who Jesus is in the moment of His baptism? He is the perfect Son of God. When Jesus is baptized, I mean, that day there were many other people baptized, right? John is out there baptizing people. You know what happened to every other time somebody else was baptized? They're, sin- they're baptized as a sinner and they go down in the water. You know what the heavens do? They stay silent because they're saying, yep, he was a sinner, deserved to go in the water. You know what happens when Jesus is baptized? The heavens break open and they say, This one. This one's mine. This one's mine. He says, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The word for the heavens says, uh, the, the heavens were torn. The same word is used about the curtain in the temple when Christ is crucified. It's like heaven, on that day when Christ is crucified, heaven is shooting out into the earth, into the world, saying, I can't, I'm not going to keep it back anymore. I'm coming out. I'm showing you everything. And so it is here at Jesus' baptism, it's a glimpse for a moment where heaven opens up and He says, that's my Son. That's my Son. Water is a form of judgment, a display of judgment, and a display of salvation. Jesus is showing what He's going to do. He's going to take our sins into the grave and then come out again. Not because He's a sinner, but because He has taken our sins. Remember creation. The Spirit is hovering over the waters. And what happens just a couple chapters later? Adam and Eve, they are tempted by the devil. And what do they do? They fall into sin. So there's a picture of God, you know, God the Father. There's a spirit coming. There's water. And then there's sin. Same thing happens in the Exodus story, right? God speaks. He has brought His people out of Egypt. They come through the water. And what do they do next? They get in the wilderness and they sin. Israel, out there, they're sinning. Same thing happened to Noah, right? God speaks, the heavens open up. uh, God brings salvation to Noah and judgment on sin. What happens to Noah the very next couple chapters after that, after the flood, He falls back into sin. When you're reading through Mark's gospel, if you know those stories, this is what you anticipate happening. Jesus shows up. There's this incredible moment with the, the, the baptism and heaven opens up and you have this incredible picture of God. And then he goes out into the desert and you say, I know what's about to happen. He's going to get tempted and he's going to sin. I've seen this story over and over again in the Bible. But you know what Jesus does? He doesn't sin. He broke the pattern. He broke the curse. Over and over again, God's people experience God. You come to church on Sunday. You're excited. You're pumped up. Maybe you're even baptized. You follow Jesus. And the very next day, That word comes out of your mouth way too fast. You fall again. Over and over again. This is how it happens in humanity. We experience God, and we want to do right, and yet we can't. But Jesus can, and Jesus did. Jesus is who we can't be, and He has done what we can't do. The picture there, at Jesus' baptism is of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit in perfect harmony, perfect relationship. We see that they have had a perfect love. When He says, My Son with whom I am well pleased, we're seeing this, this is the perfect love that has always existed forever. And here's what's incredible. And this is what makes the Gospels our bread and butter. Is that that in itself is, is something amazing to watch. Father, Son, Spirit, perfect relationship, Perfect love. Remember where this is happening. It's happening in the wilderness, here on earth. Jesus was doing this for us to see because He's saying, I'm coming to you to offer you the same thing that He has in Himself. Jesus has a perfect relationship with the Heavenly Father. The Father looks at the Son and says, You are my Son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus came and was willing to go into the grave and come out again, so that for all who have repented of their sins and put their faith in Him, on the last day, Jesus will look at you and me, all who believed, and He'll say the same thing to us that He said to His own Son that day when He was baptized. You are my Son. You are my daughter. With whom I am well pleased. That's the Gospel. That's the best news imaginable. Jesus can change our hearts and change everything. Not because we're good, but because He is. And He has made a way for us to follow Him. Jesus is who we can't be. And praise God that He has done what we can't do. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing it is to know You and to be known by You. God, we look to the world around us and we see so many ways that we are tempted and we fall time and time again. God, we have put our faith in you, many of us have, only to wake up the next day and sin yet again. So God, we come to you today confessing and repenting in a new way, once again. God, we don't, we don't even deserve to tell you that, we, don't, we deserve to be cast out forever. But God, we come today based on Your grace and Your grace alone. Father, we come and we want to confess that sin and trust in You for salvation. Father, as Jesus came and as He declared the gospel to us and accomplished it for us, God, You you made a way for us to be Your sons and Your daughters like You intended from the very beginning. So, Father, we pray today that you would be at work, that you would point out our sin to us, whatever else we're relying on, whatever else we're holding on to, whatever else we're trusting in, and that, God, today we would come to you and say, we trust in you alone. You and you alone. Father, for all those who have been baptized, who have put their faith in you, God, we pray that today will be a day where we say once again, God, we are only saved by grace. We confess our sin and we believe. But God, for any who do not yet know You, God, we pray that Your Spirit, the same Spirit who hovered over the waters brought form to the world, the same Spirit who descended on Your Son, who raised Him from the dead, the same spirit would transform a dead heart into a beating heart today so that we can follow you. I want to give you just a moment to keep a spirit of prayer and just for you to talk to God, wherever you are. For those who are here, for those who may be watching online or listening out in the other room. Where's your heart today? Where is Christ calling you to repentance? Maybe for the first time, maybe just in a new way. Where is he calling you to turn from your sin and to trust in him? Maybe you want to come if you're here in person and pray at the altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. But I pray that you would turn from sin and believe in Jesus. Because it's by him that we're saved. Father, we love you, and we thank you for what you accomplished through your Son, Jesus. In His name we